That work okay for y'all? All right, cool. Add something else to our repertoire. We're just moving on in this COVID world. So today we get to hear Jesus' last teaching from the Gospel according to Matthew before He enters what is called His Passion. Before He enters into Holy Week, the week where He suffers and dies at the hand of the Roman authorities. So you might, you might want to call it like last words, right? Um, you know, you've heard all those kinds of stories of somebody gave their last wishes before they died and families try to keep those even if they're not in the will. All the time you hear that kind of, that was their last wish kind of thing. Well, Jesus tells a last story that um, I think we should give careful ear to. Careful ear to. A reading from the 25th chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew, beginning with verse 31. Jesus is speaking. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. And you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, 
but the righteous to eternal life. The Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, this text is appointed for Christ the King Sunday in year A of the lectionary, and well, it should be. It deals with the actions of a king judging. And this text is not without its controversy. There are scholars who claim that it is a universal judgment, and it's everyone who comes and stands. And the question is, how did people react to the needs of the least of these? And the least of these is anyone who is in those categories that Jesus described. Other scholars, and I agree with them, say that this is about how the nations treat Christians who witness. The brothers and sisters of Jesus. I think the Greek syntax that Jesus used supports that. That same syntax happens in other places in this gospel. The word elakitos is a superlative of micros, the little ones. The word here, the least of these, is superlative of little ones. These are the ones who are the most little. And in the other places where Jesus said little ones, he was clearly referring to disciples. But I want to say to you that that's not what matters most about this text. But that's what people hear about it because they want to wonder, am I a goat or a sheep? Am I right? You hear this, you're like, dude, I want to be a sheep. Want to be a sheep. And I know a lot of people turn to this on this day and they want to use this to guilt people into serving other people. And I guess you can do that if you want to. But it seems to me that if you serve other people because you're guilted into it, you're not really serving other people, you're serving yourself. So if you use this text to convince people to do good work so that they can get into the kingdom of God, really what you've done is to convince them to not depend on Jesus to get into the kingdom of God, which that seems to me to be a problem. What is important about this text is the extravagant claim that Jesus is making. But I want to say this one word. You can't read the Gospel of Matthew and come away thinking that Jesus doesn't want His disciples to clothe the naked, feed the poor, visit the sick, and those imprisoned. Am I right? Okay. Just kind of unpack that there. But what's most important about this text is the extravagant claim that Jesus is making. Y'all know what an extravagant claim is if it's not true? A lie. A bald-faced lie. One of my favorite stories about lying is told by a guy named Jerry Clower. I'm not going to tell the whole story because i got a lot of stuff to do this morning with you. Don't panic. But the story is told about a little boy who was a, who was a professional liar. He was so good at it that his parents didn't know what to do with him anymore. They had tried everything they could, and they finally reached out to the preacher and said, Preacher, our little boy is a liar, and we can't stand it anymore. We're hoping that you'll come talk to him. And the preacher said, I got an idea. I'll come by and see him this afternoon and talk to him. So the preacher showed up at the people's house, and he sat down in the living room with the little boy and he said, he said, Jimmy, I got a story I want to tell you. I don't remember the little boy's name. Jimmy, okay with y'all? Jimmy, I got a story I want to tell you. He said, okay. This morning in church, would you believe that the doors crashed down and, and right in there in the doorway, running in was a big old giant grizzly bear. 
And that thing came running in the church, a snarling and a, and a breathing and just drooling everywhere and growling at everybody and trying to get everybody, tore all the pews up, was just tearing the whole church down, people screaming and running. And you know what happened next? Right behind that big giant grizzly bear ran in a little chihuahua dog. Ran all the way to the front of the church where that big grizzly bear was and jumped on him. And ate him up. Chewed him up and killed that big giant grizzly bear right there in front of everybody in the church. And then that little tiny dog ate that 800 pound bear. You believe that, Jimmy? And Jimmy said, Preacher, that was my dog. <laughs> Jimmy was acquainted with extravagant claims. Do you hear that? Sometimes I'll hear people say that Jesus was a great teacher and we should listen to his moral teachings. You ever heard anybody say that? That usually happens from a talking head on a TV show. Or some scholar. You know, you know when they always had these Jesus shows on the Science Channel, they always have a scholar who's an atheist or Benny Hinn. I'm like, hey, I'm out here. There's people in the middle, you know. It's always either some atheist who teaches in a seminary in the north or Benny Hinn. Can't figure that one out. But they get those people around and they start talking about how if we're, if we're not going to receive Jesus as who He is, at least receive the moral teachings because those can make things better. Did you know that the Egyptians also taught that people who did these things that Jesus said in this text would go to heaven? So doing these things and going into the kingdom isn't exactly a Christian or new message. So what is the extravagant claim that Jesus is making that if we decide He's just a moral teacher, we have to deal with? Because listen, here's the thing. If we decide that He's just a moral teacher, then you're going to have to figure out how to deal with the idea that He is a deluded liar. And you're going to have to wonder, should you be taking your moral and ethical cues from a deluded liar? Because what is Jesus' claim? Number one, that He's the Son of Man. The Messianic figure in Daniel. The Messiah. That is His claim. Number two, that He is the King who will sit on the judgment seat of God Almighty. Do you hear that? That's the extravagant claim under this. That's what we miss if we get to wondering if we're goats or sheep and what's in it for us. We miss Jesus' claim, I am the King, I will judge. All judgment has been given to me. I will sit on my throne. And all the peoples of the earth will be gathered before me. Do you hear that claim? Jesus of Nazareth, a peasant's peasant. A homeless dude. The only friends he had were following him around in the desert. Everybody else wanted to kill him and hang him up by his toes. What did he say about himself? Birds of the air have a nest. Foxes have a hole in the ground, but I have nowhere to lay my head. He was despised and rejected. Because they thought he was a lunatic. So here's the thing, people. If you decide Jesus is just a moral teacher, don't follow Him. Follow somebody else. Because if He's just a moral teacher, then He's also a crazy liar. Because He just claimed to have authority over every living soul that's ever lived. 
And he claimed that right before he was crucified. But that's not the end of the story, is it? The Christian year is a little weird because we jump from right now into Advent. It would really make more sense for us to follow this through, get to the cross, get to the resurrection, but we break it up a little weird. But that's what's ahead of Jesus. Jesus isn't the only person that made these claims about himself. I want to share some of those with you. Paul made the same claim in Ephesians 1. Now, some of these are just a tad long, so bear with me, but it's Scripture, so you all want to hear it, right? Nod. All right, amen. <laughs> From Ephesians 1, Paul writes, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, did you hear that? Our Master. The glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of His mighty strength, which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand, the hand of power in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under His feet and appointed Him to be head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. I want to ask you, would you expect the author of that to say to you that you should follow Jesus because He was a good teacher? Because His moral and ethical standards were better than everybody else's? No. <laughs> you follow Jesus because He's the Lord of life and the King of kings. How do we know that? We'll get there. In Acts 2, Peter having been filled with the Holy Spirit, stands up and preaches his first sermon. And 3,000 people were saved that day. Must have been a good sermon. But this was part of it. Referring to Jesus, he said, This man was handed over to you by God's set purposes and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. King David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you fill me with joy in your presence. And Peter goes on to say, Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. His point is that that psalm can't be about David. And his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. 
exalted to the right hand of God, He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. Does that sound like it was written by a disciple who would have said that Jesus' teachings changed my life? I started living and became a better person and the next thing you know I felt good about myself and surely people who feel good about themselves go to heaven? He's holding Jesus up as having defeated death by the power of God. And Jesus has been set at the right hand, the hand of power and judgment. And has been declared by God Almighty to be Lord and Messiah. We're not being left with much wiggle room with Jesus. In 1 Timothy, this is written... In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus who while testifying before Pontius Pilate. Remember Pilate asked him here in Matthew's Gospel. Are you a king? Are you the king of the Jews? Made the good confession. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. This story in Matthew that we just read. Which God will bring about in His own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To Him be honor and might forever. And then, maybe two of the more commonly known from Revelation. In Revelation 1, John writes, To the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from whom Him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before His throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and ruler of the kings of the earth. To Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve His God and Father. To Him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. And all the people of the earth will mourn because of Him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And it may be an even more famous verse after Jesus talks about, after John talks about the wedding supper of the Lamb and the church being presented to Jesus as a bride, he talks about Jesus coming as a mighty conqueror. And he says that on his thigh, on his robe and on his thigh are written the words, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I submit to you, dear ones, that the question before us is not, is this a good teacher who we should listen to, but is this a king? whom we should submit to and abandon our own authority for. Do you hear the difference? A good teacher, you can say, oh, I'm going to listen to him when it's convenient. A good teacher, you can say, oh, I'm going to listen to him when he's not telling me something that I don't want to do. 
A good teacher, you say, oh, I'm going to listen to him when he says what I want to do. But I don't have to listen when he commands me to do something that I don't want to do, like care for the least of these. The extravagant claim in front of us is not, I'm a great teacher who's taught you how to do good works. The claim before us is, I'm the king of the universe. Very decidedly different thing than how it's often presented. In another gem from Facebook this week, my wife shared a post with me about devil worshipers. I don't know why anybody would do that, but apparently there are Satan worshipers left in the world. And the question in this Facebook meme is, why would anybody worship someone who lost the fiddle contest to some random hillbilly in Georgia? It's a good question. I have this little handwritten quote from a guy named Eugene Boring who wrote one of my favorite commentaries on Matthew. He picked up on what I picked on when I first read this. It's not about the sheep and the goat thing. This is about the kingship of Christ and whether or not we're willing to accept that. And this is what Boring writes. There are only these two kingdoms. Remember Jesus said, some of you go in to the blessedness of my Father and some of you belong to the devil and his angels. Not belong to them, but you go into the lake of fire prepared for them. Right? Two kingdoms. These are the only, there, there are only these two kingdoms, Boring writes. The Son of Man with His angels, the blessed, righteous, and the kingdom of God prepared from eternity stand on one side. The devil and his angels, the accursed and the, de- and the destiny prepared for the devil and his own stand on the other. The kingdom of God is declared as the only true kingdom. In this final scene, kingdom language is not used of Satan's realm. If we pick this up and and hear this claim that Jesus is king and, and suppose that he's a king who's warring against another king called the devil, we've missed the point. The devil is a created being just like us. Has no real power. We grant that power when we provide our allegiance to Him by choosing the things that He plants in our heart. By choosing to serve ourselves and serve ourselves alone, we align ourselves with His kingdom. And when we ignore those who hurt, those people whom Jesus would call the least of these, whether they're Christians being ignored by the world or the least of these in the world being ignored by Christians, you pick. It doesn't really matter because we've already agreed that Jesus has called us to serve the least, right? So the question before us is what kingdom are you going to allow your heart to have allegiance to? A kingdom destined for a lake of fire or the one true king who has prepared a kingdom for you from the time, from the moment time began. There's an extravagant claim in this text that demands that we consider it. The demand in front of us is to declare who is our king? Who is your king? In 2016, there was an election. Y'all remember that one? Seems like 40 years ago, doesn't it? Now this one's taken five years to complete. 
But right after that election, there was a flood of people who were walking around in t-shirts and, and had Facebook memes and Instagram posts saying, not my president. Remember that? In our system, we get to pick a king. We get to choose a president. We get to say who our allegiance is going to be to. But Jesus has been made king not by us, but by God. We are not being called to enthrone Jesus on our hearts, as some people like to say. That's poppycock. Jesus is king whether we acknowledge it or not. The question before us today is will we acknowledge it now in this life because it matters. It has eternal repercussions. If we live this life as our own kings, if we live this life as our own rulers, if we live this life as if nothing matters but what we want and what we think, we have aligned ourselves with Satan and his angels and we deserve the hell prepared for them. If we treat Jesus as just some good teacher whose slogans we can put on t-shirts and coffee cups, we're not aligning ourselves with His kingdom. We're denying who He really is. And what is revealed in this story is that He is the King of kings and Lord of lords who will judge the peoples of the earth. Who is your King? The quickest way to know that is to observe your own life. If nothing in your life suggests that you are serving anyone but yourself, Jesus may not truly be your king. You may want to go to heaven because I'm not signing up for hell. That'd be dumb. But it might be debatable whether or not Jesus is truly your king. And that's his claim today. And it's the claim of Christ the King Sunday. So I want to encourage you this week to pay close attention to your thoughts in your life. Pay close attention to your own heart. And ask yourself, who is my King? Whose life to whom does my life belong? My prayer is that your answer will be Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.